Welcome to Backspin, another episode thanks to the good people at Inside Golf. I'm Steve Anderson and joining me once again, Larry Canning, hello to you. Hello Steve and hello listeners and welcome to another episode of uh, Backspin, Steve. I'm, we're having a great run with this, I love, I'm loving this and, and, and I hope the listeners are. In fact, from what I'm hearing, they are. I, know, I don't know whether you've been stopped in the street yet. Uh, people wanting to talk about backspin. Uh, I, I a bloke fifty dollars the other day. He stopped me, but is that no? I? Yeah, and I talked about backspin to him. And, no, okay, no, uh, no. Not and he yet. said, "Don't worry about the fifty bucks." <laughs> I said, "I'll give you a hundred if you, hey, if you um, listen." We've got a few things coming up today. We're going to chat with Mark Hayes, who's the media manager at Golf Australia. Good fella. And uh, a few views on golf at the upper level. I mean, summer. I mean, the summer's just gone for 2017-18, but 2018-19 is coming up and a great time for golf in Australia at the elite level, at the professional level. But beyond talking to Mark about that, we're also going to talk about the grassroots level because you hear all sorts of things about the state of the game in Australia. Yeah. Some good, yep. but a lot, you know, people are pretty negative there about are, it. There are a lot of negative people out there, Steve, aren't there? And it's a shame because golf needs positive people around it now. It needs people sharing the game um, with people that may not have played before. It needs um, just people to, to embrace it and, and help it along. And, and the people that have played the game for all their life, members of a golf club, um, please, um, if you have a, an exclusive attitude to, to your club, please open it up. Yeah, we'll talk some more about that with Mark Hayes a little later in the program. Product of the week is um, something new from, well, we're going to talk about Bushnell rangefinders in general. They've got a new one about to hit the market in Australia. You're a fan because you've been using one for a couple of years to, to find your way to the toilet at night, yeah. haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I do use this. No, term, you yes. don't really. You, you, I found you the bar. Use it on the course. I was, yeah, yeah, I was on the 18th, and I but wanted. You are a fan far. of the Bushnell stuff. No, I just wanted one that could actually order me a schooner, so it was there by the time I got in. No, I'm a big fan. We use it on the senior tour in Australia, Steve, because I think we're called a tier two event or something like that. So you can't use it in an Australian Open or an Australian PGA. You can use it on the senior tour, and it speeds up play. It's remarkable how, how, how quicker it is, and, and it, you know because in the past we've we've had to find sprinkler heads and yardages and pace them off. Now you just get your little laser thing out and off you go. Yeah, we'll talk with Paul McLean, who is the International Sales Director for uh, Bushnell here in Australia, about their range finders later in backspin as well. Destination we're talking about today is the Murray River, and the best of the Murray, as it's known, a collection of golf courses down there. People have been playing these courses on the Murray for a long time and raving about them. You've played down there. Oh, they are good golf courses, Steve. They're designed by some of the best designers in in the country. They are world class golf courses and great facilities um, and it's not a secret anymore is it a lot of people are finding out about the Murray River golf courses aren't they yeah we're going to talk with Amy Wright uh, the marketing manager for best of the Murray about which courses are part of that and the best way to go about playing them you've got a tip of the week coming up as well what's it all about alignment aligning yourself Steve hmm Mm. Do you need to know any more? Oh, no, I don't because I, I don't know what your tip is, but I, I got one of the best tips I've ever got from a golf pro, and it was about alignment. And that was from the late great Ian Norrie, who was the club uh, pro. You always refer to him, don't you? Hey, you always refer yeah, to him. He's a lovely bloke, really terrific bloke. But there's one tip about alignment that he gave me. I don't know what yours is, but the one he gave me has worked for me from the day he gave it to me. Yeah. Okay. I'm looking yeah. forward. to Doesn't mean I play better golf, but at least the, so the just, shots are straight. Just 
just need to check that PGA. Yeah, no, no, still only one pro here. Andrew, just one pro in the room? Yeah, okay. No, yeah. Just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I respect your opinion. Anyhow, it's not my opinion. It was Ian Norrie's opinion, yeah, the okay. late, great Ian Norrie. Okay. And Larry, you're going to have a, a bit of a spit about something as well. We won't reveal too much now, but let's just say it's uh, got to do with broomstick. <laughs> Don't start me. It's all coming up in Backspin this time round, thanks to Inside Golf. Can I just very briefly, before we take a, a very quick little break, before we talk with Mark Hayes, can I briefly talk about uh, the uh, the players? The tournament uh, finished. Oh, yes. Uh, was on last week or the week before. But anyhow, that, um, that 17th hole at the Sawgrass course, it is diabolical. I mean, it, it, I think it, most people listening would know what we're talking about. It's the Island Green, very famous golf hole, most photographed hole, one of the most photographed holes in the world. Uh, Island Green, it's only 120, but I think it's between 120 and 140 metres long, something like that, to the, because they have various flag placements. The wind sort of swirls around, and there's all sorts of theories how it swirls through all the grandstands, sorry, around the, around the, the, uh, the, the green. But, yeah, it's a, it's a devilish thing. And really, Steve, that golf course... I don't like. I don't, it's just a. It, it looks to me like another resort-style, lovely golf course where you, you where you stay and have a nice, you know, overnight package. You might have a nice meal. You go and play eighteen holes in this lovely golf course, and off you go. It doesn't. It's not a. The, the Americans talk about it being the fifth major. Nah, it's not. It's just. It's just another golf. Well, course. Well, you've got enough majors, America. You got three of yeah, them already. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, you I'm know, not, yeah. You want another one over there? I don't think so. But that, yeah, there's a lot of holes like that that are just that, you know live or die on on every on every ground. I don't think that's the way we and we want major golf players. But, but as a professional, how do you how, like those blokes are thinking the same? They they think they they walk up to the seventeenth, and I know from a spectator point of view, particularly on TV, it's it's spectacular to watch, um, but they walk up to that tee and do they really want to they don't want to play they it. don't want to play it they don't want to play a lot of holes there that don't want to play and I heard one of the commentators I think it was Randall Shambly say the golf course is just it's uncomfortable it's an uncomfortable golf course for the pros to play they don't um, they don't love it they play it because it's a big tournament worth them you know 13 million dollars or something um, but yeah I don't think it's um, it, that that particular hole the, the probably the biggest issue from a golf pro standpoint Steve is the fact that you, if you don't get it on the green you have to keep hitting it till you get it on the green there's no bailout the, even the pitch shot that it's a 70 or 80 yard pitch shot even that's from, a from, the, shot. from the from drop the drop zone, zone. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just you just got to hit it till you get on. I remember Sean O'Hare in the middle of it. He was one of the the the, the good, really good young American players on on a, a really high, acute angle upwards. His career was going great guns, and he took I think seven or eight on that hole when he's in contention. Mickelson won that year, and he vanished. He he literally hasn't been seen since. He's he's clawing his way back. That's probably ten years ago. Just a gun player, and it just shattered him because he couldn't get it on the green. All right, I'm glad I brought it up. That's two spits you've had already. Yeah. So have I got any left? No, you've got one more later okay. in the show. All right. We'll talk about that soon. This is Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. More in a moment. Well, Larry, um, we're going to talk with Mark Hayes, who's the media manager from Golf Australia. And, you know, this bloke is so dedicated to his job that he does two things at once. He plays golf and he does interviews. How good's that? He, he is a wonderful man, uh, Mark Hayes. And, Mark, uh, it, it's interesting that you're actually on a golf course um, just doing what you need to do to promote golf. Not being, It's nothing to do with yourself. It's nothing to do with having a nice day with some playing partners. It's all about the job, mate, isn't it? 
all about greasing the wheels of the industry. Uh, and there's no better greaser than I am, right? So uh, I think that's the best uh, best way we could start this interview. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Now, Mark, before we get into the, some of the nitty-gritty stuff that we want to talk about and how and how we can help um, golf, the, the game in Australia, um, the, the year coming up, summer of golf coming up, mate, is, it's huge. And we've got the World Cup. Um, for the for the uh, the third time in, in not many years in Australia down at the the, the Sandbelt and Metropolitan Golf Club and we've got the Australian Open we've got a great feel for that the PGA New South Wales Open the Vic Open um, last summer both uh, you know tier one events now the professional golf in Australia is in pretty good shape Mark is it not? It's starting to bounce back a little bit obviously like when you were at the height of your powers the the game was uh, had far more of a domestic circuit but. We, we went through a very lean period. Uh, in, if you include the Queensland Open into the list of things you just mentioned there, which has found itself a happy new home at the st- in the middle of spring, um, we have a pretty good run through the Queensland Open, the New South Wales Open, the Australian Open, the World Cup this year, the PGA Championship of Australia, then we have a bit of a hiatus and come back and have the World Purse Super Sixes and the Vic Open on the men's side and then obviously the Vic Open on the women's side, the Women's Australian Open and a whole series of new tournaments that the ALPG have invested in in the last couple of years on in New South Wales in particular. So it's going to be a big summer. Um, we hope that it's enough to generate a fair bit of interest around the community. When, when you get out to the Australian Open, for example, Mark, and you see the crowds that are out there uh, over the four days of that event, it's really heartening to see, and it's it's pretty amazing just how many people get along and um, support the game and support the players that take part in that. Well, let's be honest, Steve. The, uh, the Australian Open was in Struggle Street 10, 15 years ago, and it turned the corner four, five, six years ago, and every year since... Uh, uh, not belittling the previous events, but every year since Rory McIlroy and Jordan Spieth have been turning up to play, uh, the crowds have been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and it, that's what we need. We need people to identify with the players and want to come out and do their do their bit. Uh, in The players do their bit, rather, and the, and the people in the galleries really latch onto them and they have in spades with Spieth and, and McIlroy in particular, and we've had a whole host of Australian champions come back too, so... Um, the best thing about perhaps last year was that we had Cam Davis sneak up and have a, a really shock victory, uh, and he represents the new era, uh, one of the new era, and there are plenty of them coming, going to knock down the door in the next four or five years. So hopefully the crowds can hook on to the Australian guys coming through the ranks as well. Hey, listen, let's uh, move from the professional level down to the grassroots level of, of, of golf in Australia. We hear all sorts of things about um, interest in the game, about how clubs are going, etc., etc. What's your take on it? You, you'd be hearing all sorts of messages from all sorts of people. What, what sort yeah. of opinion have you got? Um, it, it, it ranges right from the very top of the elite amateur game, which I think is in a stronger position as it's been for two or three decades, right down to the battling club, which is in it's probably a, uh, a biggest fight that it's been in for two or three decades. And the best thing I can say about that from a Golf Australia perspective, or indeed an Australian golf perspective, is that those problems have finally been recognised. So hopefully through things like our club support portal and things like that, the, the clubs who are really battling... Um, can actually reach out. They can actually say, you know, it's a, almost a confession of help. Uh, we, we all talk about Beyond Blue. Well, some of those uh, clubs are in that position where they actually have to reach out and say, I'm in trouble, because there's actually people and services there now to help them. Uh, the participation rates 
Uh, I think are actually on the increase. Membership continues to decline, but that's probably more of a trend about uh, how we live our life these days. So it, it's a it's a really vexed question. Um, lots of people have different points of view, but I think the overall trend is uh, where we need to become more welcoming, more inclusive, and stop all the. I'm, I'm sorry to put it so bluntly. But the old white male pale stale element of golf needs to be seen to be not scary to those who want to come and play golf. Oh, interesting, Mark. Yeah, and I know that some of the golf clubs I've been professionals at, and 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 not I've just worked at some of them as well. I've worked at a lot of golf clubs, um, which doesn't say a lot for my um, for my resume, does it? Um, there's uh, there's some decisions being made at, at these clubs have been made over the last few years by. Um, committeemen, uh, well intended. Um, some some retired, but which which brings that demographic in that uh, doesn't include the, uh, the the 40, 30, 50 year old person. But it's actually 60 and 70, isn't it? Um, a decision's been made years ago, and uh, and, and perhaps uh, that that's something that could be addressed as well. I, I'm I'm sure there's there's um, help on on Golf Australian website and and people in there that can help golf clubs that are struggling with uh, with not only um, funding but also with uh, with, with how to manage a golf club and how to get it back on track. Um, you, you, do you see it that way? Yeah, and the club support portal, I recommend every club, whether they have a burgeoning sort of uh, bank balance and a, and a great membership rate, right through to the ones that are about to shut up shop, to jump on the Golf Australia website and look for the club support portal because there's a lesson for everyone. Uh, I, our guy there at a Golf Australia, Paul Vardy, is one of the most... Um, I guess he's a he's a realist, um, but he's also he's also very empathetic to pretty much every situation that he can be thrown into, uh, and and it has a recommendation for everyone, no matter how they're going. I think it's a um, a health check for every club in Australia would would go one that's on the club support portal. One of the big things, guys, is that a lot of the club boards have become little mini empires. This is my mm. view more than Golf Australia's, but people see it; they don't want to make great changes because they've worked their way into these positions uh, and they've volunteered hard for mm. a long year, long number of years. A lot of emotion, Mark, they, too, isn't there? Oh, a huge amount of emotion. And to step aside or to, to allow people to play in, you know, bikinis or board shorts or whatever is a, is a thing that they, a lot of people just can't stomach. Mm. But that might indeed be the future of the game. Is, you know, you just have to step outside the, the little windows that we've perceived the game through for so long. Uh, and see what the future might become. And if you took out the current board and their peers, their contemporaries at a lot of clubs, especially battling clubs, mm. you'd find that there wasn't much more coming through, and that's the biggest problem. And and with a lot of registered clubs, not just golf clubs, but a lot of registered clubs in general, it's about it's about adaptation for the future, or, or you know, running the risk of perishing altogether. And that comes down, in a lot of respects, to the culture of the club. Now, you know, you mentioned playing in bikinis and board shorts there. To change the culture of a club, you don't have to necessarily accept things that are that radical. There can be little things that that these people who love their club have been members of their club for a long time and take that sense of ownership, but they know they've got to change in some way. There are little things that they can do to encourage participation into the future and help ensure the survival of the club into the future as well. Steve, you could barely have said that better because um, there's, a, there's so many ways to do it. Obviously, the bikini is the solution to 99.9% of clubs, uh, especially those in southern Tasmania. But uh, <laughs> that aside, it, it's all about 
the key thing that we're uh, advocating for people to do is share the game. And so many clubs have become so exclusive and not in a good way. I mean, they uh, the parameters that they lay out for prospective members and even people who just want to come and play socially become really daunting. The key mantra that uh, Stephen Pitt, the Golf Australia Chief Executive, puts out to people is share the game. So that would be for everyone listening who has someone who they sort of vaguely know is interested in golf but they haven't really seen them out on a course for the last 10 years. Get them out there. Come and make your club as welcoming as it can be so that they don't feel daunted to come out. And, and share the game is absolutely everything for the future of the game in Australia. So you you were talking, when we were talking before we started recording, but you were talking about the idea of people involved in golf clubs getting a friend, a person to come along and try the game. If every club member did that, then you, you immediately you know have the potential to double your membership. Yeah, and our, our membership isn't dropping alarmingly. Uh, it's just it's just dwindling, and it, and it represents the population. Uh, as I said earlier, the the young people we need to be coming through and becoming members are the ones who uh, are more time poor than we've been in Australian life forevermore. So what we don't necessarily, and this is to your previous question as well, Steve, we don't necessarily need them to come out and play eight holes or be members enough to play pennant, but we need them to come out and play, you know, a nine hole chook run or a cross-country event or something like that on a Friday afternoon after work, and especially in daylight saving hours in the south. Just get out and play three holes, five holes, seven holes. Get someone who vaguely is interested in golf to pick up a club and, go. And you know, everyone who plays golf, you guys know this, everyone who plays golf, it's not even really about the score. It's just about walking around with your mates, guys or girls, and sharing the experience and then going back to the clubhouse and having a great time afterwards. And you know how good that is, but the people who... Are daunted to step into your clubhouse, obviously don't, and that's they're the target market for sure. Another key thing that we're working on when we're just about to launch uh, publicly, uh, so this is an exclusive for you guys. I, I, I dish out the exclusive, the Vision Twenty Twenty Five uh, program, which we sort of loosely announced during the Women's Australian Open. It's all about getting more women and girls involved in the sport. We've given ourselves a very um, uh, tight seven-year deadline to turn a lot of things around, and we've got a, a new robust. She's, she's so energetic and vibrant. Shiloh Curtis, her name is, come on board as the female game participation manager and her mission really is to really kick the turnstiles with new new women and girls playing golf. Um, Vision 2025 will be launched formally next week uh, and all the things on the Golf Australia website tell you how we're going to tackle that and women's membership has dropped. If there's one alarming aspect, because the men's historically hasn't really moved too much in, like, in the post-Greg Norman era, but the women's is dropping, and that's what the one we need to address. Under 20% level of membership in women's golf mm-hmm. in Australia, and we need to get that. Our aim is to get that to uh, one to 33% by 2025 minimum. Uh, if we and that will be, they'll all be new members, and then the, then the overall total figures will also come through. And as you know, where there are women, there are men, and uh, you know if, if we can turn that around, I think that's going to be a huge boon for the game. That's great news, Mark. Yeah, we'd, we'd love to support that, Steve, wouldn't we, here at uh, Inside Golf's um, podcast? Backspin? We would indeed. Listen, uh, just quickly before we finish up, uh, Mark, that portal you mentioned before, if there's someone from a club listening and, and the idea of getting a bit of help from Golf Australia appeals to them and maybe they didn't know about it, how can they access that? Uh, so the Golf Australia website, which is hopefully becoming a one-stop shop for just about everything, as in 
news, scores, handicaps, all these sorts of things. It's on there, and it's golf.org.au, and you should be able to follow your nose to the club support portal. Uh, they're the key words, club support portal. And uh, I think from there, pretty much any club will get a you know a bit of a head start in, in, take, in turning the corner and fighting all the battles that we know that the whole of the golf industry is confronting right now. All right, mate. Thank you very much for your time. Larry's gone. Actually, he's gone off to buy a bikini. He's saying he, he said to me, "If we can't, if we can't have him on the, if we can't have him on the course, at least we can have him in the pro I shop." I haven't got a bad pair of pegs, Mark. I don't know whether you've noticed that in media centres around I, Australia. I did notice that rather you didn't off, often go for the uh, the sunscreen, Larry. You're going for the baby oil, and I didn't know exactly why, but now it all makes sense. Gold, gold, gold. We are sharing way too much information here. Good on you, mate. Thank Thanks, you for Mark. that. We'll talk to you again. See you, mate. Thanks again, boys. Thanks to the great team at Inside Golf. This is Backspin. Well, Larry, uh, you'll attest that Bushnell Golf makes some fantastic products, don't they? I use one of these, Steve. I use a Bushnell. I don't know what it's called, but it is a Bushnell rangefinder laser um, apparatus. And and, and the, the, the big thing for me was the Jolt technology, which um, we're going to hear about in a second. But it, and it sounds a little bit bizarre, Steve, but when you're holding one of these things, particularly when you're on the senior tour, you shake like all buggery. It's really hard to keep it, like, nailed. I, I mean, I, I, the previous brand I was using, I was picking up stuff that was... Yeah, uh, like we were 200 metres beyond the Hopeless, drain. absolutely yeah, hopeless compared to Bushnell. Bushnell has changed my life. To tell us more about uh, the, the range of, of Bushnell, I should, probably should have used another word other than range to save confusion, but um, the selection of Bushnell range finders. Uh, we have with us on the phone the International Sales Director from uh, Bushnell Golf, Paul McLean. Hello, Paul. G'day, guys. How are you going? Going pretty well, mate. Larry's talked to you up big time. Actually, whenever I've played with him, he's, I've never actually seen him using it. I've seen him, <laughs> I've seen him huddling over in the distance, pointing something, but I never knew what it was. Now I know it was his Bushnell rangefinder. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we. Uh, the, the interesting thing about our products is, yeah, ninety nine percent of tour pros actually use our products. So we do a whole lot of research and work with the PGA Tour, the European Tour, and. Our devices used by the best players in, in the world. And it sounds like, Larry, you, you're, you're up there with one of them because uh, you're using what the best use. So that's good news. <laughs> Ricky Fowler and Larry Kenny. We have, I knew we had, since I saw him play, I knew we had a lot in common. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, where's you wear, you wear uh, orange, on, orange on Sunday, Larry? Yes, that's the the human carrot. He he lives in hope. It's interesting, Paul. You you talk about tour players using this. Obviously, they can't use it when they're competing, but um, it's it's part of their preparation. And their caddies are heavily involved with it when they're when they're having practice rounds on the courses they're about to play, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And as I said before, we work really close with the PGA Tour, so you guys know that you know all the yardage books that the pros carry and the and the, the the caddies have. All of those devices globally are used with our with our measurements. So um, uh, we've got we've got guys on all the major tours that you sometimes buy yardage books off or whatever as a pro. All the technology and all the numbers that the pros are getting are, are made from Bushnell. And the other thing that's associated with that is our slope technology. So the pros even have the declination and inclination on the yardage book, so they don't know if it's playing uphill or downhill. And that's a patented slope technology that we developed in conjunction with the US Tour and caddies on the tour. So. All the numbers are Bushnell that their pros are using out there now. 
You mentioned the word technology a couple of times there, Paul. Is it something that is happening at a rate of knots, particularly with products like this, that the technology is just getting better and better? Uh, The research and development that companies like Bushnell put into utilising that technology gets better and better and better. Does it mean that you can just come keep coming up with these these fantastic products uh, even more quickly? It really does. I mean, uh, I think Larry was mentioning about before how sometimes um, other products in the market are hard to lock on a pin. We've done a whole lot of research in making lasers and making lasers quicker, so a lot quicker to acquire on things. So what that enables us to do, if you are a bit shaky, if you're anywhere near the flag or near the object, it actually locks on a lot quicker than it used to. So that's where the technology is coming. It's the lasers and how quick the lasers are and actually how far they range is more to the point. Like cheaper models that other brands are producing at the moment are quite good over like 100 to 120. Ours, ours, our lasers, our top of line lasers, lanes out to four or 500 metres, which sounds ridiculous, but that shows just how accurate they are for longer distances and how, how important the numbers are that you get. Larry mentioned before one of the features. What was that thing? What were you talking Jolt. about? Jolt. Jolt. J-O-L-T. Yeah. Yeah, Paul, just explain, because you'll explain it way better than I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Jolt technology, basically, um, when you lock onto the pin, so when you lock onto uh, the pin, if you're 150, 140 yards away or whatever, what it does is that you lock onto the pin and it vibrates in your hand um, when you've locked onto it. So, basically, it's letting you know and it and a positive response through your hand that you've actually locked onto that pin, you've got the right yardage. So it's a reinforcement that you've locked onto the number. Interesting story about that, how it was developed. And we were talking about technology and the development of technology. Um, we're in a, in a meeting over in, um, in the US when we're talking about development. And um, we're all talking about what's, what else can we do? How can we make these things easy to use? And guys, one of our reps over in the US's mobile phone was on, on the desk and it vibrated, it was on silent. And it vibrated and he went, hold on a second, how about we uh, put jolts onto or put some sort of a device into the laser that reinforces if you locked onto the pin with jolts. So something as simple as, uh, as that has actually gone from what it is today and just makes it so much easier and it's won um, patented awards all over the world in terms of um, making products easier for people to use in the, in the environment that they are. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting story. Well, on behalf of all the 50-year-old-plus golfers, uh, particularly ones playing on the senior tour in Australia, Paul, we love you. And we love the person that had that vibrating phone, that had that idea, um, because because I was picking up... You, the things I was picking up were... I mean, I'd pick up the guy hitting off the next tee. I could tell you where he was hitting it, but I couldn't find the flag. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's great. That is great feedback, because that's... I mean, that was, was, was it developed for the, the sort of older guy that thinks they're a little bit shaky, and that's what... So there's a misconception out there that they're hard to use laser rangefinders. I think the development now with that technology, how we lock on, how quickly they lock on, lock on. Really, anyone can use these things and get accurate yardages and, and benefit their game and make, make golf a bit more fun using technology. Now, speaking of new products and new technology, you've got a brand new uh, rangefinder coming out in Australia next month. Tell us about this one. Yes, absolutely. So um, we've just developed uh, a, a product called the Bushnell Hybrid. So basically, it's the world's first ever integrated laser and GPS. So GPS technology obviously picks up satellites, gives you a front, middle and back um, by satellite technology. And laser's actually a point and shoot. So laser's actually hitting whatever you want to, coming back and giving you the yardage. So, um, Larry, when you look through your laser currently, it will just come up with a number there that'll say, you know, 240 metres to whatever you're hitting it at. This new unit has actually got integrated GPS on the top of it. So it'll say, it'll give you the front and the back yardage on it as well. 
via GPS. So, you know, when you're maybe playing on a bouncy, firm firm fairways, firm greens, and you want to hit the front of the green, this thing will actually tell you, you lock onto the pin, it'll say 240. It'll say to hit the front of the green, it's like 220. So if you want to know, you want to just get short of the green, you know you've got, you know, 215, you want to roll it up a little bit, it actually makes um, makes it even easier to get the right yardage. And the back of the green, you know, if you've got a bunker at the back of the green or something like that mm-hmm. that you don't want to go anywhere near, it actually allows you to, you know, have all the numbers that you need to, you know, hit the shot that you need to hit it close. Because they are often hard to pick, you know, like a run out or a hazard, a creek. 100%. Yeah. yeah. 100%, all that sort of stuff. So that's, that's what this thing does. It gives you all in the viewfinder, you know, easy to access numbers, um, which is uh, a pretty amazing technology. One of the great things too, Paul, just in finishing, is that this is technology that is useful for whether you're Ricky Fowler or whether you're a, a, a club C grader. Um, it's technology that's useful for you as a golfer. doesn't matter who you are, how well or how badly you play, it's useful for you. Uh, 100%. And, and, and we, we look at it as a course management tool. That's how we try and, and when we're explaining to pros on how to use them or, or amateurs. Um, it, you can manoeuvre your way your course around, around a course a lot easier using these devices with, you know, getting getting 100 yards out so you can hit that wedge. You know how you can hit a wedge for a layup or, or shooting a, on, on a dog leg, shooting a tree where you have to hit a layup to, to hit like 15, 20 metres short of that to have a nice accurate shot into the next one. So, yeah, absolutely. We look at it as a course management tool to, to benefit your game below your score. And it's interesting that, Paul, we're paying... You know, seven hundred dollars for a driver, which we use maybe ten times, twelve times around, and um, you for, this is these these products are even cheaper than that, I believe. And yep. you're using them two or three times a whole. Well, in my case, maybe five. In Steve's, maybe seven or eight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some, yeah. <laughs> sometimes as, sometimes as much as nine, depending on what it is. I mean, the other thing is that what it does in the research that we've done with a lot of universities in the US, and and that actually speeds up play, which is probably yeah, another yeah. discussion. Yep. Uh, you know, you're not walking up to a sprinkle head anymore to, to look at the yardage um, and walking back. You're actually mm. shooting the laser. Got got nice, accurate yardage, and you're ready to hit it. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's another story. Fantastic, Paul. Thank you for that, mate. And we'll keep an eye out for the uh, the new Bushnell Hybrid, which is coming uh, very soon to Australia. We're, we're, we're talking to you in May, and uh, this will be around in June, but keep an eye out for it. And... Uh, it, it, it will make your game better, no doubt about that. Absolutely. Larry will attest to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't have to lie on the ground anymore and do my yard. Just with my laser. And only when I can stand. Yeah, yeah, only when it's vibrating. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing better than a good jolt occasionally, Steve. Some of it's seen up to. We should have a good jolt before we start the show. <laughs> Let's move on. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your time. Thanks to Inside Golf. This is Backspin, and we'll have more of Backspin in just a moment. This is Backspin. Thanks to everyone at Inside Golf. Check out more about the great game, whether it's equipment, destinations, whatever, at insidegolf.com.au. The Murray River between New South Wales and Victoria is home to a number of spectacular golf courses, and it's an area that's been a popular destination for golfing groups for quite a while now. Now, some of the clubs in the area have banded together to promote themselves under the banner Golf on the Murray. To tell us more about Golf on the Murray is the marketing manager, Amy Wright. Amy, first up, welcome to Backspin. Could you give us a quick overview of what's behind the concept? Yeah, so Golf on the Murray consists of six clubs, um, all the way from Murray down to Swan Hill through to the commercial golf resort in Albury. Um, and uh, we work together to promote um, golfing along the Murray River as a whole. Uh, we love to bring everyone to our destination and we're proud to say that um, 
the Murray is Australia's number one golfing destination at the moment. We recently overtook Queensland. So, um, yeah, just we work together. We work hard with um, people like Inside Golf to promote the Murray and to encourage as many people as we can to play golf at our wonderful six club. That's extraordinary. You've overtaken Queensland, Amy. Yeah, yeah. In 2014, um, the Australian Golf Industry Council did a survey and, um, yes, uh, Queensland went from number one to number two and the Murray shot up with number one. I know it's always been a popular, or has been for a long time, a popular destination for golfers, but have the clubs always worked as cooperatively as you are now? No, look, we've been doing it for over 10 years now. Um, and while we are competitors to some degree, um, you know, we think it's important that um, our customers, mainly from Metro Melbourne or um, New South Wales, uh, come and experience what it's like to visit one of these Murray clubs. You know, we've all recently undergone extensive uh, renovations and, um, you know, they're not the little tin sheds on a golf course that people might have seen 20 years ago. Um, you know, these are big multi-million dollar clubs who have worked hard to make sure that the standards are, um, are up there with the big boys. I know some of the golf courses uh, I've played a lot a few years ago now. I mean, I'm a golf pro, so I used to play some tournaments along the, the Murray some years ago. The golf courses were always exceptionally good. I mean, they were Peter Thompson designs, and you know some of the best designers in the country had had worked on those courses. They are special golf courses, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. And the feedback we get from our courses is always amazing. Um, the golfers just love to play them, and they're all so different. You know, you have 45 holes to choose from at Yarrawonga, or 36 at Rich River, um, you know, there's plenty to choose from. And they all vary in, in style um, and in, in challenge, you know, how challenging they are. In terms of an itinerary, if someone's thinking of getting down there and, and playing the courses, what do you advise? I mean, do you yeah. sort of say do them all or maybe do two or three or how does it work? Yeah, look, there are many different options. You can either um, choose one of the clubs and, um, you know, stay in place for a couple of days. Or we do encourage multi-club multi um, stay in place. So, for example, I, I've just been working with a gentleman who's staying at Cobham Garuga Golf Club, and he's, while he's have a couple of days there with some um, group mates, they're also travelling to Tokemol, um and as well as Yarrawonga to get some golf in there. And they're actually also visiting um, uh, Rich River as well. So, you know, it's really up to the to the golfing group, um, how much time they have, but you, it's doable. You know, they're only within um, anywhere between 40K to, you know, up to 100K between them. So it's not it's not a huge travel. Can you, take a like can you take a boat up there, Amy? Can you do the river thing? Can you do the Murray yeah, River? Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. Um, again, I've got another group coming up shortly. They're, um, they're actually basing themselves on a paddle steamer and they're going to work with the clubs to um, be picked up on the courtesy buses at each stop and uh, come play the course and then back on their paddle steamer and off they go. The only reason um, Larry asked that question, Amy, is because one of those tournaments he played back in the day, he actually won a paddle steamer. <laughs> oh, are you kidding? <laughs> no, I did not. No, I did. <laughs> so there was a bit of self-interest in that question. There was a bit of, there was a bit of steam being blown, but it was definitely not coming from, from, a, from a boat. Hey, listen, Amy, I know you're not allowed to have favourites in your role, but have you got have you got a favourite oh, hole or a, or a favourite? Oh. I know I'm putting you on the spot here and you don't no. have to answer. No. That's like saying what child is your favourite. No, yeah. no, no. They've all got they've all got special parts about them, you know, no, I couldn't I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. I love them all. You're the well, ultimate you're the ultimate diplomat. Well answered, Amy. Well done. <laughs> Now, if people want to find out more about golf on the Murray and what a great experience it is, Australia's uh, number one destination in golf, how do they find out? Yeah, look, all our information is online. 
um, if we have a Facebook uh, page, uh, Golf on the Murray, or you can jump online at www.golfonthemurray.com.au. Amy, I know you've got to get in the car and travel, and we really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Good luck in the future, and we'll talk to you again. Yeah, no worries, Jen. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Amy. Thanks to Inside Golf. This is Backspin, and we'll have more of Backspin in just a moment. This is Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. Time for Larry's tip. Larry, what's it all about? Uh, alignment, Steve. Now, uh, it's it sounds simple. Sounds like something we should all be able to do quite easily. But I've seen more mistakes made with alignment than just about any other um, part of the golf swing. Uh, alignment must be done, Stephen, from the golf club. So you must align the face of the golf club at the target and then your feet off the golf club. 95% of the people I see that play the game walk into the ball, put their feet in place, put the club down and start to look up where the target is. By that time, they've committed their feet to the wrong direction and their feet, uh, nine times out of ten, is uh, indicative of where their hips and shoulders are aligned. You know, the body sort of works that way. So the golf club is going to have to be swung on a different path to what it needs, to what it's trying to be swung on to make the ball go back towards the target. So alignment is critical. Have a look at the tour players and and pick up on someone's routine you really like. The one I always used to like, and it's probably a bit dated now, was Davis Love, who would put one foot in, put the club in behind the ball, align the club. Once that club was aligned, he would then put his other foot in place, and then he was he was set. Now, also, you don't always just have to align straight at the target. You can align to parts of the green where it's it's a wider area. Don't just aim at the flag and don't aim down the centre. Get to know, Steve. This is this is this is actually really relative to you because you hit the ball with a slight draw. And I often, I know you you're going to say that you align really nicely. Thanks no, to me. He's, he's, poor yeah, old, I'll put you on the spot, haven't I? Ian, Ian's a great Ian, Ian God it. rest his soul, is not around to answer any of your, your um, aspersions that you're casting. <laughs> no, I'm not just at the tour. No, I know what you're just saying. Just your interpretation, perhaps. Yes, no, it's okay. It's okay. Because Move I, on. I, I do see you aiming dead straight all the time, and, and I'd, I'd prefer to see you aiming a little right for your draw. Which, and, and, and if you aim a little right, look at, it, look at a point where you want the ball to start and then let it draw back towards your target. Now, if you slice the ball, you're a drawer. Um, Andrew's a slicer. Andrew, uh, a- all- Andrew Andrew's the bloke who presses the buttons for us. Is just that- to, to people going, who the hell's Andrew? I was going to explain that. Steve. Yeah, well, he, he's the bloke who presses the buttons for us. He's a little giggle you can sometimes hear in the background. Yeah, when, that's, uh, that's Andrew. He, he calls buttons. himself our executive producer. We call him the button pusher. <laughs> Anyhow, we get off topic here. Uh, slicers obviously aim, aim at the starting point. Don't try and aim straight and hit the thing straight. You know you're going to slice it. Nine times out of ten, aim yep. left. Set up on the right hand side of the tee. Aim a little bit down left. Starting point is that a tree or something in the in the in the, in the background, and and swing towards that. Let the ball curve back towards your target. It's it, it is it is it, uh, it's the most overlooked. I think simple but overlooked, Steve. Because it's a funny thing when you're playing with someone and they hit the ball and it goes you know right out to the out, out way out to the left or way out to the right and they go, geez, why did I hit it out there? And you you thinking, well, that's because where your feet were aiming, yeah, that's where your yeah. club was aiming, that's where everything was aiming. Well, if you practice that long enough, you'll you'll develop a terrible golf swing if you if you misalign yourself for, for that many times that that you you will you will create a, a compensation in your golf swing and finish up with a in all sorts of trouble. So you know, just take a bit more time. It doesn't take that long. But as I said, borrow someone's routine. Davis Love was a beauty. Roger Davis I played I play a bit with now. He still has a great routine, and he's the same. Club in first, right foot club, align the club, then put the left foot in place according to where the club's facing. 
Am I right in saying that there are quite a few players in the past who used to do it that way? Not so many these days. I mean, you highlight Davis Love and you, you like his routine. You just mentioned that Roger did something similar. But I can remember a lot of players, but uh, professionals from, I don't know, probably the 70s or the 80s, remember them doing that sort of thing. Maybe I'm reinventing history. I think it might be. Yeah. yeah no, okay. I think they all had a pretty strong routine back then. These days it does vary a little bit, but... Uh and you've even got the, some of the girl players. And I don't know why the blokes don't do this. Well, I, I don't know why anyone does it, to be honest. It's silly. Have a caddy standing behind them aligning them. I mean, what's that about? I mean, surely a pro can align themselves. Anyway, yeah. that's another point. If I can do it, anyone can do yes. it. Yes. Yeah. But thanks for that tip, too. I'm going to take that one on board, too. I'm just putting it in. Norrie's really good. Larry Canning's tip, not bad. I'll write that one down. Hey, um, time for you to have your third spit of the day, I think, or however many you've had. You've been on fire, um, <laughs> casting aspersions at various people. Um, now, uh, the broomstick putter. Mm. Or, or uh, are they all broomstick Anch- anch- anchoring? Anchored. Yeah, okay. A, a putter that you anchored. You, we used to anchor before 2016. Yep. Yeah, and and then that rule came in that that banned anchoring. So yes. when you say anchoring, it's 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 uh, um, joined to the bo- or it's touching yeah. the body. Yes, yeah. So you can or, still or, or the or the part of the club, like the end of the club, is 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 attached through your hand to your body. Yeah, you can't do that either. All right. So you had blokes like um, uh, probably best known uh, Adam Scott, who well, were doing that. Yeah, and and, and, it's, and then it's, all of a sudden. That was taken away from them. Well, they the, had the, to the find point, an alternative. The point, Steve, is why was it done? Why did they pick this particular rule change when we're using drivers with the heads as big as this computer I'm looking at and, and cavity irons and golf balls that only spin with a chip and don't spin with a driver? I mean, the technology has gone bananas and, made the, and changed the face of the game. But because someone won a US Masters with a broom putter, the, 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 they banned it. Now, they didn't just ban it for professionals, which is bad enough as it is. They banned it right across the, the board. So, And, and I, I wrote about it a few times in Inside Golf when it, when it was coming, coming up. I have a mate, and, I, and his name's Al, and, he, and I won't use his surname, who has a condition that he can't – he has a, like a benign shaking of his left hand. It's not going to kill him or anything, but he's, his left hand shakes. So the, the, the broom putter connected to his body, anchored to his body, was the, was the, was gold for him. He could continue playing. He gave the game away, and then when he discovered the broom putter, he, he started playing and loves the game. Yeah. Still still a bad putter. Like, he's not the best putter in the club, but he can he can get his ball, ball somewhere, keep his ball on the green, you know. He can finish a round of golf and have a nice day with his mates. Now, I don't know how many people across the world are like that, but I would I'd suggest there could be... 10 or 15% of golfers playing the game that either have a really, really chronic case of the yips where they can't separate the, the club from their body. And these are people who just, just love a weekend hit with their yeah. mates. The why, thing, well, why are they not well, why are they taking up tennis now? Why did they do this? RNA, USGA, changed its rule in 216. And, and as you say, why? It's not like you know players that were using these anchored broomstick putters were winning every tournament and winning them by a mile. Uh, it's not like in club golf, you know, blokes with the the, the anchored putters were winning every mm. every you know weekend, every Saturday or yep, every exactly midweek right. comp or whatever. That just wasn't happening. Um, so there's really no rhyme nor reason to the the decision that was made, but it was made. And I, I mentioned Adam Scott um, and Webb Simpson. We talked was about another the players, Steve. Yeah, Webb Simpson. It took him out of the game for for three years. The US Open champion in 2012, and, and a really nice guy. 
and 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 a role model. But he couldn't. He had to. He was being fiddling and tinkering and trying to find a way he could putt because he learnt to putt with these putters. I mean, when he was a kid, these putters were on the market. Keegan Bradley is another guy who's not quite the nice guy that that uh, that Webb is, but he had the the the, the belly putter. Yeah. As did Webb, um, and and they both won majors. They didn't win the major because of the putter. They they it, the putter enabled them to compete at that level. Yeah. They they I think the highest ranking and I, and someone might prove me wrong here was something like on the US tour the highest belly putted ranking was about forty three or something on the rankings. So forty two guys using normal length putters that are killing those guys. All I can do is just compete. They can they can, without without embarrassing themselves on the greens, and that, that's what it was all about. But, and when there's a pro that that learnt to play as a kid with a belly putter, and suddenly you say, "No, nah, that's it, we'll take that out of your hands." You can still see use your driver that hits at 400 miles, yeah, and your clubs and your ball that it doesn't spin when you want it. You know, spins when you, it, it's it's bizarre. I don't get it. Stupid ban. Is there any chance it'll ever ever be overturned, or have people just gone, "Well, it is what it is." Mm, gee, that's a tough one. I'd, I'd love to think that they could have another look at the amateur golf side of it, yeah. at, at the very least, mm. and bring that back in. Particularly when we're t- when we're talking about numbers on golf courses, memberships, what we can do to cr- you know keep the game, sustain the yeah. game, and make it attractive. It was this was the answer to a lot of people, and they've taken that away. I don't get it. Let's yeah, let's let's hope there is a someone one day will um, will stand up and say, hang on, that, that was a really bad mistake. Can we just change that back? I think you're the man for the job. I am the one to do it, Steve. It's yes. an international campaign spearheaded by a, an ageing golf pro from the <laughs> southern highlands of New South Wales wearing a bikini. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> Anyhow, here's hoping. You never know. Things can change. Larry, thank you for that. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for uh, spinning constantly throughout this one. This has been Backspin. Um, thanks to Inside Golf. We love the team at Inside Golf, don't we? Yeah, yeah, it's a great read. It's a great magazine. Richard Fellner, the, the editor of Inside Golf. When's he coming on our show? When are we going to get Richard on? He's American. <laughs> don't know why I just even, said that. Even more reason. <laughs> so he can he can definitely speak. He's, yeah. he, he talks. He, yeah. loves a, he loves a yarn. What's this fifth major stuff, Richard Fellner? Yeah, Richard what, are you, Felder. what are you Americans talking about? We'll you. get him on next yeah, time. Yeah, bloody yanks. God, all Good right. on you, Inside Golf. If you want to know more about anything to do with the game of golf, go to insidegolf.com. .au. Check it out. There's a host of good stuff on there. Uh, we're on there. You can also go to the iTunes um, store and download previous episodes of Backspin. There's the Facebook page. There's Instagram. There's all sorts of things. But start at insidegolf.com.au. I heart. Love heart or whatever that was. No, I heart, Ray. That's something different. Is yeah, it? No, this is iTunes. We're, we're on that. Are we on iHeart Radio? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gee, we're going worldwide. Anyhow, stay tuned. We'll be back in the very near future. 